before we begin today's episode, I just want to talk to you a little bit about Anchor because it's just been such a great experience, you know, for us to get our podcast started. I mean, number one, it's free. I mean, it's not a lot of free things in this world. You can't really beat free. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of different things you can use uh, once you get into the app. There's a lot of editing options for you. There's music, there's sounds uh, for you to add to your episode once you get done recording um, to help give give your uh, episode some flavor and some spice if you want to. Um, it also distributes the podcast for you. You don't have to go finding out how to distribute your podcast to different sites and different platforms. Anchor does that for you. You even got to worry about it. And you can also earn money from this app if you really if you really get like that, you know. If you, you can get some sponsors, you can make some cash. No matter how many listeners you get, you can just get some sponsors, make some cash if you really get something going. Um, and it can be accessed, you know, from your app store, or you can go to Anchor.fm to use it. I mean, it's just that simple. If you want to get started making podcasts, Anchor is the way to go. I mean, you can just go to your mobile app store, whether it be Apple or Android. We're not going to discriminate between the box and the fruits um and you can go on the website if you got your pc go to anchor.fm and there you go you can get your podcast started and with that being said let's get into today's topics it's time to get down to business hello everyone welcome to the faithful four and more podcast i am shinobo twitter handle at faithful 249 i am joined by my co-hosts you want to start shanahan I'm Shanahan Season. Handle on Twitter Shanahan S Z N. Follow me. I just got retweeted by Dante Pettis. I'm kind of big. <laughs> big accomplishment. Love to hear that. Love to hear it. All right, Rohit. Hi, my name is Rohit Kundan, and my my Twitter handle is literally just my name and then add a 71 at the end. And follow me for 49ers takes that are both good and bad. <laughs> Love you uh, hi, my name is Antonio uh, Fragali, and uh, follow me at, at Colin Sexton. One, one of the L's is uh, capital I. All right, we got a fake Colin Sexton in here, and we have our guest. Why don't you introduce yourself, Quan? Uh, what's up? My name is Laquan. Follow me on Twitter, underscore NBA Quan 15. And I'm just a cool person, and I fuck with the Niners and Miami. Yeah. All right, see, we got a Heat fan, not a fan. You know, he's just across the coast. All right, we are pre-training camp at the moment, so, you know, nothing new to talk about yet. But we will start by talking about what we thought the season would be like going into last season. And I guess I will start this one off. I'll be honest, my ceiling for us going into last season was 11-5 and five because there were a lot of question marks. Garoppolo coming off of his torn ACL. The receiving core, what was that going to be like? We didn't really address secondary like that. We brought in some pass rushers. Nick Bosa, as a rookie, you never know what's going to happen. Obviously, he's a stud. Turned out to be a stud. which you never know. D Ford, um, entry issues, but he was an elite pass rusher at the Chiefs. Obviously, had the offside incident, so people, Chiefs kind of fans kind of done with him after that. But, you know, at, at the highest, I saw it at 11-5, everything went right. And obviously, they surpassed that by a lot. Um, so pretty enjoyable, but, um, yeah, if I'm just being honest, 11 five is what I saw. Realistically, I saw it as a finish like nine and seven, maybe on the cusp of a wild card spot. How about you guys though? What do you guys think the season going to be like going into last season? Uh, I thought the Seahawks won in the division, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that. Uh, I, actually, no, I thought the Rams won the division. Ooh, no. True, because the Rams come out for their Super Bowl, you know. Um, had no idea they're gonna fall off that hard. Like they fell off. I mean, hard. 
But I think what one part of that they really screwed up in is that they literally put all their eggs in one basket. I mean, we saw in the middle of the season, they kept trading for guys. They traded away picks. They traded away players. And they just put themselves into such a bad situation and a toxic locker room culture. And then everything just kind of just fell apart from the seams almost quickly as it came together. Yeah, I kind of think they just just went kind of big to go get it. I think when they made that trade for Marcus Peters, I mean – Last year, everyone kind of saw that. Everyone kind of recognized that they're only going for one year, and that this was their year. And I mean, the fact that they went thir- they lost thirteen to three in the Super Bowl. I I think that just made the fall off even more worse after that. There's no coming back from that. Yeah, they got embarrassed in that Super Bowl. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean they put all their eggs in one basket, but I thought at least you know they brought most of those guys back for the second season. So for them to fall off that much, a lot of it happened because of. Todd Gurley was it? Is this team messed up or not? We don't really know. They said it was. He said it wasn't. We don't know. But they failed last season compared to last season. I thought that could be a big reason why we weren't going to be that able to reach where we reached this season because the Rams are going to be good. The Seahawks are the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. I mean, I thought they were going to suck. To be honest, they were. They still kind of did suck, but not as bad as I thought they were going to suck. But yeah, I did not see us having that much success this season. Obviously, I'm happy it did happen like that. Obviously, I think we all are, but. I did not see 13-3 and three going to a Super Bowl after the way the season before ended. Absolutely not. I had us, I had us around 9-7, and 10-6, just as you did. I had us as the um, number six seed with the Rams at number one, Seattle at number five, and then us rounding out the um, wild card at number six. And then maybe having a surprise upset over whoever I had as the number three. I think I had Chicago as, our, as the number three seed. But Jeez, Chicago. Chicago? But so I'm just I was just honestly surprised that we went 13 and three and we basically went after teams like the way we did. I mean, if you remember the first oh, eight weeks of the season, we were undefeated. forget undefeated, but we were blowing people out of the water and not just on the scoreboard and not just on the um box score sheets, but it was just a tactical spanking on in all three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. I mean, I think the one game that probably encapsulated all the most is the Cleveland game. Oh, I mean, I mean, we they, they came out. Cleveland came out in that game on their first offensive snap was a, was a pass from the wide receiver. And uh, we shut yeah. them yeah. down on that drive, and we respond with a 83-yard touchdown run in the first play from scrimmage. Matt I mean, <laughs> you literally, you literally can't script a better start to a game. You you stop them, you stop the opponent team on offense, and then you score on one play. Name a better way to start a game. There isn't. Yeah. Exactly, and so it's just mind-boggling to me about how dominant we were, and that's probably what surprised me the most. Not just the winning, but just the sheer dominance by the way we were winning. Yeah, I'm sure it surprised everyone, except for the, you know, always positive fans that always think we're going 19-0 every season. Without love, but this is not happening. Um, Quan and Tony, anything y'all want to add? I don't think you guys have spoken yet. Yeah, I said we was going to go 10-6 to six as best. Like, yeah. But the most thing that surprised me was uh, Raheem Mosher. Uh, he gave us a huge impact. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was kind of, I kind of saw it coming the way, like just the way, like in the Bengal game, he had that that nice um, touchdown run on a screen pass. Yeah. Um, what other games I see where he had a couple of good carries? 
Um, he was early on. The Cardinals was, game, uh, he just basically burst out of that for what was like a, a probably about a 35-yard touchdown. I think it was also the uh, preseason. That Broncos game in the preseason, I think most had a good game. In yeah, the pre- it was I the thought, preseason. I thought he should have been one of the top backs in depth chart starting from there. I, every time he, cut, he touched the ball, he's making plays. At yeah, least in this system, it was not overall. But. Yeah, I mean, but when you saw um, weeks one through four of the regular season, he had a bit of a fumbling issue, and I think that's what kind of kept him lower yeah, that's on the, the depth chart behind yeah, Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman. But definitely, that's the other game. Yeah, he had two fumbles in that game. But kind of when, up, but. but when Breida started to fall off and having his own fumbling issues, which I ultimately I believe is what led him, what what led him to be traded to Miami when when we did during the draft. But I think Bria just, just lacked the vision that Coleman and Mostert have, at least in my opinion. I mean, a lot of times you run straight into the lineman, and if there isn't a wide open hole, I, 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 I think it was a, I think it was like a, a combination of factors, really. But ultimately, Mostert's emergence is probably like, was probably spearheaded by Bria yeah, yeah. faltering, and that's what that's when we really the world really got to know Raheem Mostert. I think I think for Raheem Mostert, I don't even think it was preseason. If you guys remember when he got hurt last year, he got hurt that at the end game? of that Oakland Raiders game. Yep. All right. And he had a touchdown where it was like he was running behind Mike McGlinchey and it was like a 70-yard touchdown. I think right there is when everyone yep. should have known at that point that this dude was the next big thing. And I think when we're talking about the difference between Matt Breida, a Tevin Coleman, and Raheem Mostert, because that's become a big thing since it's required a trade. I, I kind of I kind of look at it this way. Tevin Coleman is in his own class for me because he's not re- he's not nearly as fast or as explosive as Matt Breida or he Mostert was. He's more of a bruiser. He is more of a bruiser. I think he's more like a Jeff Wilson, and we're going to compare him to that. I think that if you're going to compare Raheem and you're going to compare Breida, the thing that makes Raheem Mostert good, and it's the reason he won't get traded, is because he trusts Kyle Shanahan. He knows the cut he's supposed to make, and he makes the cut and he goes. If you guys remember kind of what Matt Breida likes to do, there was a play against Pittsburgh where everyone loved it because he made a really good – it might have been Pittsburgh or the Bengals, but it was like a fourth down, and he didn't pick a hole at all on an inside zone play. He just went to the outside, juked out two people, and ended up getting like yeah, 10 yards was, or so. Yeah, the, yeah, that was a Cincinnati game. Was it was a third and Yeah, two. the Cincinnati game. He didn't pick a hole at all, and that's kind of what Matt Breida does. He's really improvising the entire time, and that will lead to yeah. great plays like that, but – it doesn't work most of the time, especially when you're working with a great offensive mind like Kyle Shanahan is. If you do what Raheem Moser does and you pick the hole you're supposed to, you're going to get 6.3 yards per carry or something like that in the playoffs against Green Bay. I think that's what makes Raheem Moser good, and I think that's also why no one's going to trade for him in the first place because not every offense is going to give you holes like that where you can tell him before the snap where he's supposed to go and it's going to work. You're, you need someone like Matt Breida in Miami. Matt Breida is going to be good in Miami because he can improvise. Someone like Raheem Mostert wouldn't. And I think that's what makes Raheem Mostert good in the first place. I At mean, least in the Shanahan system, definitely, yeah. And especially considering um, Raheem Mostert's speed, because here's the thing. In a zone-blocking scheme, you got to be able to hit those holes and hit those holes as fast as you can. And that's what Raheem Mostert does. And that's, the, and that's why I, he's probably the best back in the system right now. Definitely. All right. Um, Tony, you got you got you on this, right? You got to speak on this. Uh yeah. What was the question about? Uh, Expectations going into the season before we started off with this uh, topic. Uh, uh, 
into last season to be to be to be clear. Last what was the record that you last season? Uh I had I think I had the Niners missing the playoffs. There, I I, I mm-hmm. thought the NFC was going to be stacked. There's so many good. good they teams. was stacked, but we were just actually good. <laughs> uh I had I had the Falcons making the playoffs. Actually, the Falcons making the playoffs at sixth seed. Man, they had a disappointing season. They fell apart from them pretty early with all the injuries. Not just the injuries, but Dan Quinn as a coach is. Here's the thing. I live in Atlanta, so, and I go to college in Tuscaloosa, so all I get is Falcons games, and whenever they're on TV, I just, I practically just facepalm because I don't ever understand what Dan Quinn is trying to do. And every single game, I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, how is Dan Quinn not fired yet? Well, I mean, he's he, obviously he's a proven defensive coach, but him and Kyle Shanahan were the perfect the perfect combination because Quinn held the defense, and then Kyle had the offense, and Kyle obviously the mastermind he is had the offense going. They were clicking, and they were if, if they went together another year, hundred percent win the Super Bowl. 100%. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there really wasn't much of a drop off if you looked at it on paper from. 2016-2017 for Atlanta. But, it, like, because... They just, didn't have just they just didn't have Shanahan. I mean, honestly, if they have Shanahan, we don't get Nick Foles being Nick Foles. And we don't get the perfect Rocky Balboa story that we got. Yeah, the issue, the issue with the Falcons, Falcons yeah. is that that cover three system is the same cover three system we want run, right? And the two yeah. big, like, cover three teams before us, before Kyle Shanahan came in, it was Seattle... And it was the Falcons. And they both had awesome defenses as soon as they implemented that system because they had tons of talent. But over time, the system doesn't work without that talent. The same thing happened to Seattle, and I think the same thing happened with Atlanta this year. They lost the talent to injuries and just all kind of fell off. That's one thing that I'm personally worried about about the future of this team, right? Because Kyle Shanahan loves the cover three system. When they hired Robert Sala, uh, there was a lot of – they were asking him about why he would do it, and he said he loved that system. He loved the 4-3 – cover three system but over but time the cover you three don't have work- the talent- i'm sorry go yeah. ahead okay so like the cover three works really well as a scheme when you have talented players so like it didn't work in 2018 when you had cassius marsh as your edge rusher but it did work when you had d ford and nick bosa as your edge rusher and it works when you have the best zone corner in the game richard sherman and it works when you have two really good underrated safeties it works when you have super talented players, but you can't keep all those players. So the scheme has to change. And they don't like to change out of the scheme because it's an easy scheme to run. They lose that talent and then they start to fall off. So that's one of the things in the future, maybe not even the future, probably next year, considering that Tart and Sherman are both going to need new contracts. They're going to need to look at. I wouldn't be surprised if Salah leaves and then they change to a different system almost because the system hasn't worked in the long run for anybody. Yeah, it always falls I apart. Can, you need really good that. talent to and run I that ju- system. And honestly, I agree. I, I feel like Robert Sala is going to get um, picked up by somebody who needs a head coach next season, and we're just going to have to see how, it, how the system changes. But I don't think we're going to go away from a 4-3, but I think we, we will go move away, a bit away from a cover-3 defense. 100%. Yeah, I think you're going you're gonna to move to something – that it's going to, I don't, you're going to keep it a zone. So maybe a, almost a Tampa two defense. And that kind of makes sense, right? Because when, um, crap, when John Lynch was in Tampa Bay, they ran that Tampa two system and it won him a Super Bowl. I would not be surprised at all 
if they move down to something similar to that, it's kind of moved out of phase in the last couple of years, but it's the really the only other proven system that you could pick from other than that cover three, if you don't have the talent and the defense will not be as good as it is last year. And it was this year. It just, it won't happen with the current salary cap situation. Like you can make as much adjustments as you want, like trading into force Buckner or bringing in a Kinlaw. Eventually, you're going to trip up. You can't make all these perfect draft picks in a row. So eventually you're going to mess yeah. up and the defense is going to fall off. But they're going to have – Yeah, it's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point in the future. Let's move on to the next topic now. Um, keeping it with last season, at what point in last season do you think Super Bowl was possible? And I'll, I'll start this one off too. Um, I think for me it was after that Rams game because – they were obviously the defensive of NFC champions, went to the Super Bowl. They were viewed as the best team in the NFC at the time. And when we destroyed them the way we destroyed them, where their offense couldn't do a single thing right, and our offense didn't really play that well, but we still did enough to get the job done. It's like, okay, this team might have what it needs. So for me, it was probably that Rams game where I first started to believe that, hey, if, if we keep this going, we might have a shot at that thing. So what about you guys? Um, for me personally, um, it was the um, the Cardinals game in week 11 that basically said, hey, we actually have a chance to actually go to the Super Bowl and win it. Because up to that point in the season, remember, coming into that game, we were 8-1 and one, coming off our first loss of the season. So we had no idea how this team would bounce back from a loss, and especially so, a tough Sanders. physical emotional loss like the one yep. against Seattle because that game was Monday Night Football. It went to overtime. It took this the entire overtime period. But the defensive touchdowns, the green line interception, the injuries, we lost – we didn't have Kittle for the game. We lost Sanders in the middle of it. We lost DJ yep. Jones. I mean, whatever could have gone wrong, it went wrong. But the team never really lost hope, and we kept going – Unfortunately, that game didn't end the way we wanted. But you come back the next week, it's a, they basically reset everything, and they came out, punched Arizona in the mouth, got a win, and that's when it said. Well, not even really. We kind of got punched in the mouth. We started off sixteen down 16 nothing, and like it seemed like last week was still on their minds because obviously this is a very, very, very slow start, but they turned it on. And when they turned exactly. it on, it pretty much over from that point on. Exactly. That's what I meant by they punched um, Arizona in the mouth because – they took a punch, they took another one, and then they threw a haymaker. Yeah, that Richie James play. Uh, the run over to the right side, throw it back for a screen, and Richie James just runs like 60-something yards. Exactly. That's what really got them, got them going. But what that game really told me was that this team can fight through anything, and this team can win a Super Bowl. And, I mean, we made it to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, it didn't, weigh the end. It didn't end the way that we wanted, and – I'm we not won't discuss it yet. We won't discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was there, and that's when I realized, like seriously, we could actually make it. Hundred percent. I mean, in my opinion, uh, I'm kind of, I'm pretty pessimistic as it goes with the seasons. Right, I still got the past four years in my mind throughout the season, watching it go down. To me, I wasn't even confident, probably until maybe maybe even the start of the NFC championship almost. Cause here's, here's what I'm kind of <laughs> feeling, right? Like the, like we watched, we watched the Cardinals game and we had gone, we had one loss this season. We're labeled as one of the best teams in the NFL. 
and we come out and we're losing 16 to nothing to the Arizona Cardinals at home. That felt like the 2018 49ers to me. That felt like something that they did, and it almost felt like the locker room wasn't there. And I know they came back because they have tons of talent, but it just kind of felt like teams were not ready for us the entire season. That's really what it felt like, whether that was Kyle Shanahan's game planning or just people weren't expecting the 49ers to be good this season. It didn't feel like anybody was ready. And maybe at the Vikings game, most people finally came over and said, you know what, maybe they can make the Super Bowl. But even then, that Vikings game was ugly. I mean, you had the yeah, Jimmy, outside of the first round. Yeah. yeah, you had the Jimmy pick where he threw it right to Eric Hendricks, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it, it felt like what like the most of the season. It was so inconsistent. I felt like I was watching the 2018 49ers a lot of the time. Just somehow they were pulling out wins. And I, I and they labeled it yeah, it's like winning in different ways. But really felt like we were just <laughs> dealing with different stuff every week. And we were just really random. But we were still winning. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And I think the part, the one play, I think the play were me, for me that finally decided, like, you know what, maybe we can do it. It was like third and 10 <laughs> NFC Championship game versus Green Bay. And they were on a draw play with Raheem Moster, and he runs for a 30-yard touchdown. I think that's when I. Oh finally, yeah, that was the first clicked. touchdown of the game. Yeah, it finally clicked yeah. in my head. I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> NFC Championship game. We just ran a draw play against the two seed in the NFC, and it went for a touchdown. Maybe, maybe something's different this year. That's at least what it was for me. But I mean, I'm a pessimist, yeah. so like. But that's Green Bay, though. Yeah, but uh, it's, yeah, it's we did still... down that Green Bay the, the last time we played them. Well, I mean, I yeah, I did have a bunch of nerves going to NFC into a championship game, I was like, man, I mean, we could easily screw up like we do, you know, in regular season a couple of times, and this is too late, this game over. Mm-hmm. And so, because we were so inconsistent, we, we won so many different ways, just, every game just kind of felt like, felt random. I was like, I'm not sure what to expect going into this, you know? You don't even have an idea of exactly how it's going to turn out. Which, I mean, that's football. It's, it's a football thing. And on that but, note, I just want to, like, point out a sh- the, um, the stretch that we had from week 13 to week 17 – at the regular in the regular season, and all of our games came down to the wire and were decided yeah. on the last play yeah. or plays of the game. We had the Baltimore game that was a back and forth, and then yep. we, we lost on a Justin Tucker field goal. We had the Saints game, and and then we had the the play of the year with George Kittle basically deciding, "Okay, screw all of you. I'm carrying you yep. all to the end zone with me." We we win it on the field goal. The yes, Atlanta yeah, game, which was just, mm-hmm. which was just weird. I'm gonna be completely yeah, yeah. honest. That was just weird. And we, we had one Jones game. barely breaking the goal line by an inch. I never the felt next, comfortable about that game. <laughs> then the, then we had the Rams in Week 16. We convert two third and 16s on the final drive. Forget converting one. Yeah, and then, that's. <laughs> and then Week 17. It was just Dre Greenlaw yeah, it, on it that took... final play, just straight up. That was if, – if I had to put that and... into words, we all know – you know how everybody talks about what happens if an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? That time, the immovable object won. Jeez, and that was like literal – that was literal inches, like from the end zone, like literal inches, like without any second I'm later, sorry, and that's a touchdown. Oh. Exactly. I, I thought we were going to lose. Oh, yeah, 100% I mean, thought we were gonna... Oh, Russell Wilson I mean, got the ball last. Think, oh, we lost this game. if you think about how weird those last games were, all of those games could have gone either way. 
We either could have won all those. We either could have lost all of those. So, yeah, since I, I mean, the Super Bowl it, came down. Since Super Bowl came down to the best quarterback in the league. Yeah, I, man, don't get me started on this. Yeah, don't. Hey, we'll, just, we'll talk I about Super Bowl. Twenty-four nothing. Okay, well, yeah, I'm let's not get into it. Yet, let's man. not get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Texans. Oh, next topic. Um, <laughs> let's see. Maybe the favorite game or moment from last season. Yeah, favorite game or moment from last season. Let's just take out the killer run. Obviously, that's, I mean, ridiculous. Take something original. Uh, that's that's too painfully <laughs> obvious. Um, Jesus Christ, that wrestling game was kind of fun. Yeah, it was that was very fun. Oh, oh, oh. Really? I, really? I know. Really? I, really? They play in the swamp. They play sloppy. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, um, we already talked about it, but the third and sixteen, to Emmanuel Sanders against the Rams. Oh my goodness! I mean, twice. The entire the first season, Kendrick Warren, and then the. Yeah, I I don't know if this was just me, but whenever Jimmy Garoppolo throws deep, my I start panicking, right? Because it could either be like that pick that he threw to Troy Apke against the Redskins, where there's just no one yeah. in the area, or it's going to be yep. like the throw to Kittle in the regular season versus the Green Bay game. So hearing, so seeing that ball go up, you can see Jalen Ramsey running after it, and I forgot what the commentator was, but you can hear him just his voice start to raise, saying he's got Sanders wide open. That yeah. I think was one of the best things I've ever seen, considering the Rams beat us down last season, and the fact that everyone, a lot of people predicted us to lose that game for some reason. I don't know why I remember that, but that's my favorite moment from this season. I mean, honestly. I'm going to go back to that. Um, the goal line stand we had against the Rams in week six, it was – and that in, the entire series of that goal line stand, from first from first and goal to fourth and goal, they had four shots to punch it in from the one-yard line, and we stuffed them four straight times. Every single time. Yep. You – I can't even put that into words. I mean, that, that was just – that was just incredible. I think I'm going to change my favorite game. I'm going to go to the Steeler game in week three. We turn the ball oh, over like literally every possession and still won that game somehow. Like, credit to the defense. Because, I mean, five turnovers and you only, only went by and four. And they only got six points off of those five turnovers. Now, I know it was, you know, Mason Rudolph at quarterback. So, if it was someone different, it might turn out differently. But, I mean, we didn't choose a week to play a quarterback. We turned, over, we turned the ball over five times. Hey, we and had to somehow – we had to throw a game-winning touchdown pass to Dante Pettis, like you know. It, of all people, Dante Pettis yeah. catches the game with it. I mean, no offense, no offense, to Dante, but of all people you expect to make that you know game-winning touchdown catch, it would not be him. I was I'm, thinking I'm maybe the kill or somebody. Dante defender in, on the entirety of 49ers Twitter, so I completely get that. But so yeah, I'll go Steelers game for me. Sad everyone. Okay. Oh, no, no, I'm oh. same one. Okay. Uh, I'd probably say the NFC Championship game package because it was amazing. Like, 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 like every time they oh, score yeah. a touchdown, every time I'm, I'll be like celebrating. It felt like, felt like I was celebrating nonstop after every single touchdown and interception. They were all, I mean, yeah, we dominated that game. Obviously, Green Bay made it look interesting in the second half, even that really wasn't. But yeah, that game was wasn't even close. And honestly, that entire second half was practically garbage time, let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, pretty much. Go on, you were saying? I said, I got to go with the Saints game. Because like, it was going back and forth and shit. Yeah. Hella people expected us to not win. Like, well, I mean, and the way that game was going, I mean, Drew Brees, 
was was on one in that game. Like he was he wasn't he was avoiding every sack. He was making every big throw. It felt like, and it was just seemed it just seemed like we weren't supposed to win that game, and yet we still we still won it. Especially Jimmy even G falling falling a, down uh, early. Jimmy G had a good first half of the game. Like, ain't throw no pick. Honestly, he was good. Jimmy Grubble was good throughout that game. Let's be. He was pretty much perfect. The only interception he had came off of Sanders' hands. He, other yeah, than that, exactly. he was perfect in the, rest of the whole game. Mm. All right, that's everybody for their favorite moment or game. So let's move on to, do we think the Sanders trade was worth it? Now we're getting into actual uh, debating here. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, just, uh, just a reminder, do we, do we does anybody have the exact numbers of what we gave up to get Emmanuel Sanders? I think it was like a three uh, four. It was a third and a fifth. Yeah, yeah. All right. uh, yes, yes. I know many people say no because he left and third and fifth was a lot, but but that but Emmanuel Sanders trade really oh, helped I'm sorry, the passing game. Oh, it was third and the fourth. Oh, it was third and fourth? Yeah. Uh, but the Emmanuel Sanders trade really helped the passing game because the yeah, exactly. uh, passing game was uh, not, not that good. Yeah, I know we were undefeated, but the passing game was not not as good as it as when when after we traded for Sanders. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, think about it. Um, at the time before we traded for Sanders, our most experienced wide receiver in that wide receiver room was Kendrick Bourne, an undrafted free agent who is in his third year in the league. Mm-hmm. So. That is a it is a that it was a young raw wide receiver room who who I'm gonna be completely honest truly didn't really know like what it, what it actually felt like to be in the NFL so, so to have that type of veteran who's who's made multiple playoff runs come in and teach these guys what it means to be in the NFL and just set these guys in the right direction honestly the Sanders' value was probably much more valuable off the field than it was on the field, simply because of how how the players progress. Simply, I mean, I think I'm just gonna go off on a tangent, but so I'm just gonna stop myself here. <laughs> yeah, I believe what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. I felt like on the field, it didn't feel like he was actually there most of the time. It was mostly Kittle and Bourne and Debo for the most part. And then the running game, obviously. He only, he only had, like, what, three or four catches a game? Maybe even less than that. Um, after the first two games, the the, um, the Panther game and the Cardinal game, I feel like on the field, he kind of disappeared for the most part, except for, except for when you needed them. He made the big play in the Rams game, obviously. Um, but yeah, definitely so, but in you the need locker that type room. of savvy veteran who knows yeah, in, when to be Definitely there. in the locker room, he um, made an impact on Debo and Kendrick because – Bourne wasn't really getting that many snaps before Sanders got there. And then I'm assuming in practice, you know, Sanders started talking to Bourne and Debo, and they just started looking different. And Shanahan's probably like, oh, yeah, those are the three guys right there. Those are our one, two, three wide receiver. And that's who started getting most of the snaps. So obviously, Kittle is, Kittle is wide receiver number one. I mean, we're not going like he's not. He is. So after you him. So in the uh, Seattle game, well, Kittle and Sanders, how how much the passing game sucked. Oh yeah, Debo so. Debo had 100 plus yards in that game, I believe. But he yeah. he had a couple of, it felt inconsistent. Bourne obviously had his worst game of the season. We had like three drops in that game. I want to say two drops, two drops, one lead to interception, which felt like three because he got picked off when he dropped it. Mm-hmm. So the second one was got picked too in the red zone. But yeah, Bourne had his his worst game. So, and then Kittle obviously wasn't there. Uh, Ross really didn't really. You know, that must, you know, I think he was still playing fullback at the time. No, Juice came back that game. So, yeah, he was just playing tight end. But obviously, Drolly is not a kittle. 
Yeah. The offense was struggling. And I want to go back to what you said about Kendrick Bourne having his worst game of the season. And then when you, and then when you see as the season progressed, I mean, he didn't have a single drop the rest of the season. I mean, until the, he just won the Viking at the end of the game. I think that was something like that. Yeah. But, yeah. But, and I think, but I think something about just having that type of guy who's seen it all, who's been through it all, who's done it all. And just having that guy there and present just helps any of those receivers Definitely. coming off that type of a game where they all they essentially almost single handedly costed their team a victory. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. And Sanders trade. I mean, obviously he's not on the team anymore. But what he taught our receivers in the room right now will last past last season. Well, last season it will you know go into this season and the rest of their careers most likely. So in the in the long run. As far as their progression, this the trade was definitely worth it, in my opinion. Agreed. And we'll move to the next topic here. Which free agent loss hurt the most? Uh, I mean, I'm going to go with a retirement here since none of the um, free agent signings were really that impactful. So I'm going to go with Joe Staley retiring. I mean, that one hurt. I'm not even going to lie. I think yeah, that, be, like, that, that retirement was probably the most emotional I've been about a football player retiring since Patrick was retired in, um, oh, in that 2014 offseason. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Staley went to two Super Bowls and we couldn't get him a single ring. Yeah, it came close. We're not, we won't discuss it. We won't discuss it. We won't and discuss I mean, it. The, and I'm going to be honest. <laughs> like, the dude went through basically the – probably the darkest days of the 49ers franchise when we had the coaching turmoil between Nolan and Singletary, the Harbaugh, the Harbaugh fallout, Tom Sula, Kelly, the first two Shanahan years, if I'm being honest, simply because we still weren't there as a team yet. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. He, yeah. And, and he stayed with us for his entire career as a 49er. Yeah, even after the bad years didn't retire. Yeah, it sucks that he couldn't, you know, uh, won a championship, excuse me there. Yeah, for him to make it past all the bad years and just, and then not be able to win a single ring definitely definitely sucks. I kind of wanted to, to join the staff so if we do end up making it to the title game again and, you know, and pulling it out, he can still get a ring, you know? But yeah, as far as, like, not – like, as far as non-retirement, I think the biggest loss will obviously be the, be the Forrest Buckner. Kim Law isn't going to be the Forrest Buckner in his first year. He's just not. And he may not end up being him his whole career. We never know. But the Forrest Buckner, obviously, the year before last season, had 12 sacks on a terrible 49 defense. He was the lone person who was even a threat in that defense and had 12 sacks. And then, obviously, they got him help on the D-line, and he became more of a run defender. And he still had about six and a half sacks, if I'm not wrong. Maybe I might be off by a couple. But, obviously, just his presence on, you know, in the locker room as far as his positive mindset and his leadership, and obviously his his effect on the football field. Obviously, I mean, the play that stands out to me is that that fumble he forced in the Seattle game at Levi's when he when uh well I think uh, Quan uh, Williams sacked Wilson, and then Wilson tosses his lineman, and then this force comes to punch the ball out of the dude's hands, and takes it himself and runs it for a touchdown. We couldn't get oh, anything no, going. Punched the ball out. And now nah, I I think Buckner did both, if I remember correctly. I think he got the guy's hand on the ball and then picked it up and ran for a touchdown. I think he did it all there. But, by the way, we couldn't get anything going. The Forest, you know, 
he makes I'm a big play to keep us in the game. Uh, it's just going to be hard I'm to replace say. the force. So I think I might yeah, be the biggest. Just, uh, just leadership and just overall play on the field. Yeah, I agree. I'm a, I'm a agree with what Kobe was saying. Buckner, because because honest, honestly, uh, I don't want to say Staley because they got Trent Williams, and Trent Williams is one of the best tackles in the league. Uh, be, 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 because because Kim Law's a rookie, and honestly, I didn't want him. I was pissed off when they picked him. I wanted uh, I wanted Ceedee Lamb. Uh, and and honestly, and honestly, the, the reason why I didn't want Kim Law, I didn't feel like we needed him. I felt like I I, I trusted him. I trusted Dan, DJ Jones. That's why. And we get him. Trust there back too. We don't know how well he'll be, but he was also a pretty good Wilbur uh, lineman. But still, you're putting you're putting a rookie to uh, replace uh, one of the best uh, D linemen in the NFL la- last season, uh, and that's I don't think he's gonna replicate the production Buckner uh, brought because with Buckner we were a dominant defensive line. You had Armstead, you had Bosa, you had Ford, and you had Buckner. And Ford and Ford is uh, injury prone, so so we don't know how how good the defensive line will, will be. Definitely do not know how well that will be without Buckner. Um, Shanahan, as you go, I mean, you guys brought up the. We've already talked about the three main uh, losses that we've had. It's Staley, Buckner, and Sanders, and I mean, all of them are bad for their own reasons. I think Staley. His leadership was pretty great. I mean, he really mentored McGlinchey, and I think McGlinchey got the most out of him that he could, but at least we were, we we got probably – I think Trent Williams will be better than Joe Staley was or would have been this year. So I don't – I know we all love Joe, but I don't – I honestly don't think that's a, that huge of a loss. It's, a, it's an emotional loss, but on the field it might even be an upgrade. And Buckner – I mean, Buckner was awesome. Everybody knows that. He took all the double teams. I think losing Buckner is going to hurt Nick Bosa the most because they're going to double Nick Bosa. They're going to double the next best threat. So they're going to double Nick Bosa, and that's going to suck for him. And if D Ford is still healthy, then it shouldn't matter that much because if you're double teaming teaming Bosa on one edge, you cannot double team the other edge. If you don't double team D Ford, if, he's just gonna run around. That's a big F. Yeah. And that's a big F because D Ford wasn't healthy last season. Mm-hmm. And I, I think having Ronald Blair helps. And I, I think another thing going back to like uh what we talked about with drafting Kinlaw it might not have been a need. I think with the depth on the D line was probably the most important part last season, right? Because you have like DJ Jones who has a backup a decent amount of the that's season hard. coming in. And you can bring DJ oh, Jones in, and he's going to play like a starter. That was probably the most important part of the D-line, right? So if DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and Nick Bosa don't have to play uh, a second and seven or a second and ten, that's they're going to play so much better on the other downs. That was a huge issue we had in 2016, where I don't know if you guys remember, but when we ran a 3-4, DeForest yeah. Buckner played every single snap that year that on season. defense. Yep. I mean, he was. I playing... think that was more of a. Um, that's. I think that's more of an indictment on Jim O'Neill and Chip Kelly not knowing how to rotate players out. Yeah, 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 and it, they also they that and they didn't have depth. And DeForest Buckner, I mean, he played. I mean, he played as best as he could, playing seventy snaps a game. But he was at his best last year when he had rest. 
So that depth was yep. a really important part. And I think Kinlaw is going to be really underrated in helping that out because you have another really talented dude. You don't have to put Eric Armstead out there for 90, 95% of your snaps. You can have Kinlaw in there as well. So I think if I had to put the biggest free agent loss, it's, it's going to be DeForest Buckner, but I don't, I think they were covered really well. Yeah, because obviously the, to have a lot of depth at defensive linemen, that was one of his big points coming in when we hired them was he wanted him and Shannon wanted to have a bunch of depth on the defensive line so they wouldn't be dog tired when you need them to, to make a play the most. So that's obviously a big Exactly. For, and I mean, I think, and I think we saw the um, result of having depth versus not having depth at the exact midpoint of our season, the first Seattle game on Monday Night Football where we lost DJ Jones and Ronald Blair and a bunch of other players. And we had our starters playing a whole bunch of snaps, and we just saw that the sack numbers just keep tumbling down. Yeah, and definitely. We, we, we couldn't buy a sack. I mean – Yeah, gonna, we, we weren't getting there anymore. We weren't getting there. I, we I, mean, all this. I mean, in all fairness, we had to play Kyla Murray, Lamar Jackson – and then Russell Wilson. So it makes sense that we couldn't really get sacks on those type of elusive QBs. But but think about the other quarterbacks we played. Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Jared yeah, we Goff. Either. We couldn't sack them either. <laughs> we couldn't get to the quarterback. And, and here's the thing. Pressures are great. Pressures are probably one of the most underrated stats in football because getting to the quarterback in any way you can is helpful. But – it's not going to be as helpful as actually getting to the quarterback and putting him on the ground because that's not just a loss of a down, but you're pushing them back. You're forcing the opposing coach to shrink their playbook. You're forcing them to be desperate. It gets in their head. That's going to force Solomon Thomas to have to either, you know, either Kinlaw to be, to be either half as good as Buckner or for Thomas to finally look like the first round pick that we drafted him to be, which probably isn't going to happen because I just – he just hasn't looked like he has it, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't look like he has it. But, I mean, you never know. I mean, contract year, Armstead had his career year last year on a contract year. Maybe Thomas, Thomas finally, you know, gets it together. But I'm not holding my breath, so. All right, long. next topic. Um, which offseason addition will help the most? I think the most obvious one will probably be Trent Williams because we would have had no left tackle. You know, obviously we had Justin School. But, I mean, you want to have Justin School or Trent Williams. I think everyone else answered to that. So, I think that addition will keep our O-line. Maybe, yeah, like you said, Shanahan, maybe even upgrade the O-line because Staley was getting older and maybe he wasn't as productive. He had a couple bad games um, last season. But, yeah, getting Williams to make sure our O-line doesn't uh, regress, mm-hmm. maybe even gets better. So, that might be one of the biggest additions this, yeah. off- this offseason. So, I mean, I, I, kind of, I already biggest. talked about kind of Trent Williams a little bit, but I'll just add one more thing. When Trent Williams is healthy and is back to his size that he should be, even though he took a year off football, he is a first-team all-pro left tackle. He's a first-team all-pro left tackle. So, he is. I'm going to say – I'm going to say – I'm going to say – Brandon, I, because without – because they lost Sanders and, and, and if we didn't have IU, we would be having – Samuel, Sam Debo's injured, and Born, Heard, Taylor. We will be having basically the same, the same wide receiver core we had before. We we got Sanders and Ayuk. Ayuk kind of brings in, uh, kind kind of replaces that that whole 
that that Sanders brought. Maybe not the maybe not replicate the same production, but kind of patches up that hole a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, because I mean, we don't know if Pettis. Will, I mean, Pettis. Here's how I, I like Pettis. I do. I want everyone to know that I do like Pettis. His route running, he can run some really good routes. Like he he can get open. His issue has been catching the ball around the defenders. He he gets a little a little shy when people are about about to snack him, and he kind of loses sight of the ball or doesn't get his hands on it. But his rookie year, playing with Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, well, really when Mullins got in is when he started to really you know um, show off. But he put together some really good games you know, last. So I mean, I, I don't think it's over think for yet. I, I don't think it's over for Pettis yet. I think it's still a chance he can get it together. Now, who gets cut if he actually turns out to, you know, become what Shanahan thought he might have get, you know, got when he drafted him? Who knows? That could be discussed for another day. But I don't think it's over for Pettis. I think – I mean, I think he has the ability to get open, and he has some pretty good speed. So, I mean, he, he can definitely still become an impact route receiver. But, yeah, getting that ensures that in case he doesn't become what, you know, maybe Shanahan thinks he probably could have become, that we have someone else who may take that spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I think we covered Ayuk. We've covered Trent Williams. I'm not sure if we've covered Kinlaw yet. So if you guys don't mind, I want to, I want to go into Kinlaw real quick and talk about how I think he'll probably he's probably going to help a lot for this 49ers defensive line. I mean, we already talked about we lost Buckner, and then even though we're getting so many people back, the sheer size and strength that Javon Kinlaw brings to that defensive line is completely different to the skill sets of DJ Jones, Ronald Blair, Anthony Zatella, anybody else that we have on the defensive line. The ability to be able to like push the pocket and go after guys and just that's and that's honestly on a whole nother level. And I think that's and it's gonna help a lot because when it comes to getting guys to get to the quarterback. I mean, we got D Ford coming off one edge as a pure speed rusher, we have Nick Bosa, who's quickly become one of the best pass rushers in all of football. We have Eric Armstead. We saw what he could do when he had time and he had people around him and he was able to get to the QB. So, Kinlaw's not only going to benefit from having people around him, but also for having a unique skill set that not many people, if any people in the NFL have. Yeah, hopefully Kinlaw is able to replicate what Buckner was doing for the defense, as Shanahan said, being kind of the guy just to take the double teams and just kind of open up the, you know, Bosa to one-on-ones where he can really shine and just, like, completely embarrass whoever he's in front of. Because that was the biggest reason why Bosa was so effective, because you couldn't double him because you have to worry about Buckner. Mm -hmm. So if Ken Law isn't able to force the the other team's offensive line to block him with two people, and the pass rush is going to be downgraded. So Kenlaw really does have to produce for the for, for the pass rush to remain as effective as it was last year. And it's a lot of pressure on Kenlaw, but he's going to have to he's going to have to bring it because if if you can just double Bosa and just leave Kenlaw by himself and leave uh, Armstead by himself and just kind of hope that you can just kind of keep Ford away from the quarterback, I mean it's just going to be rough. So yeah, a lot of our success is going to. At least if we have the same amount of success that we had last season, it's going to rely on Kinlaw. So, yeah, very important for him 
to play like a first round pick. I agree. Uh, I will say one more thing. I know we already talked about Trent Williams, maybe the biggest addition. Same thing with Ken Law. This dude is not going to be the biggest addition, but I think he's going to be maybe the most underrated one. Sixth round pick out of Georgia, Charlie Warner, the tight end. Yes. So the yes. thing with Charlie Warner is that he was not highlighted at all because he's purely a blocking tight end. It's kind of the same way that Kittle came out of the draft. Now, I'm not saying he's Kittle because he's not. He's a lot slower. He's not as athletic. But Charlie Warner was the best blocking tight end in this draft. And one of the biggest issues that not a lot of people talked about last year in our offense was that George Kittle is our number one wide receiver that has blocking responsibilities. So if you need to block a Chandler Jones that's coming off the edge and you need to double team him, the easiest way to do that is have your tight end stay in. And with George Kittle being one of our best pass blockers, at that point in the season, I wouldn't even shy away from calling George Kittle our best pass blocker, even on the entire O-line with Staley hurt and McGlinchey hurt. It, you take away your best wide receiver out of your passing game when you really need it most, it hurts you. So by having Charlie Warner on the offense, he's not Ross Dwelly. He can actually block. He lets Kittle run routes. You can split Kittle out like they do with uh, Ertz or Kelsey when you have someone like Charlie Warner. So I think one thing to pay attention to is if you're watching, if we have a season next year, just watch when they can put Charlie Warner in at inline tight end and split Kittle out so that Charlie Warner can block and Kittle can run routes. And I think that's kind of amazing. Like Kittle's part for them to reduce like having to block for over half of the place. Mm-hmm. I know people talked about the, you know, the, the Kelsey versus Kittle thing. And obviously Kelsey, Kelsey runs a lot more routes than Kittle gets to. And only barely gets more yards than he does. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that might be one of the biggest points you can make when you talk about Kittle versus Kelsey. I mean, Kittle has to, to block most of the time. So he doesn't really get a chance to just go out there and run, run routes and run past over. If, if you give Kittle more chances to get out and run routes and just catch passes, he'll have so much production. It'll be insane. It won't be a, a, you know, a discussion anymore. It'll be an argument. Mm-hmm. And I think we can move into our next topic after that, which is something we can argue about very easily, probably forever. Um, Madden ratings. A lot of ones we don't agree with. A lot of ones that look really dumb. Um, I want to start off with this one because I found this one today. I tweeted it today. You guys probably already saw it. Dante Pettis being higher rated. Than Kendrick Bourne. That just I, it rubs me it rubs me the wrong way, and I know it has to hurt Bourne a lot. And obviously, you've seen how he's been working this offseason. Very proud of Kendrick Bourne working for him. He's trying to become one of the best heroes to ever play the game. Will that happen? We don't know, but he's working towards it. He should be at least Dante Pettis barely gets any snaps the last season. After the first what half of the season, he doesn't see the field anymore. You don't even see him. You forget he's on the team. And somehow, I don't know if that played into why Madden didn't change his ratings. Because I believe he was 77 in the last game. Yeah, he was, like a, he was like an 83 in the last game. They Jesus loved Christ. him in the last game. I will say that. He had – he had. let me give him pull the ratings here. I can tell you exactly why he's rated higher than – oh, obviously we know Pettis is faster and more um, – has better agility than Kendrick Bourne. But he also has a higher catch rating than Kendrick Bourne at 85, Bourne at 83. Do not agree with that at all. He has better route running, which suffered a bait. 
Uh, I, well, obviously, I think Pettis has better feet than Kendrick Bourne, but having a higher catch rating, he, his, his catch and traffic rating is only one lower than Bourne, which like it should be way lower because we saw him got a million passes in traffic. And I mean, just he also have a higher spec catch than Kendrick Bourne. It just it doesn't it just doesn't sound right considering. Now, I know Bourne's numbers were down from his season last season, but mostly because he was pretty much the fourth receiver because Kittle's number one, Debo pretty much emerged as number two, Sanders number three. So he was pretty much the fourth guy who would get targeted, and most mainly on third downs in the red zone. So, yeah, his numbers were down, but as far as his production, his efficiency, it was way up. He should definitely have been the 80 at the lowest, I feel like, in my opinion, maybe the 81 or something like that after last season. I, I will say this. I actually like this rating, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why, right? So Kendrick Bourne, I mean, he's a he's almost like a gritty receiver, like what we see out on the field. Like his routes are okay; they're where you would want them out of like a three-year veteran undrafted free agent at this point. But if we're looking at the Madden rating specifically, there isn't like there there is no I guess toughness or willingness to go over the middle rating. I mean, with Dante Pettis. I mean, he had that issue in Washington, and he still hasn't changed. But route running, speed, agility, like we all talked about, I think Pettis pretty easily takes that. Oh, right? he definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah. He definitely yeah, does. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said it before, and I've talked about this. Dante Pettis, I, I mean, pure route running might be a top five route runner in the league. I mean, he just doesn't run bad routes, and he gets open. And, like, I know it sounds crazy to say yeah, that. Open, or, get some routes. I've seen clips. He gets, like, wide open in some of his routes. Yeah, and, I mean, it sounds crazy to say that about a receiver who didn't play the second half of the season, but if he's one-on-one man coverage, he's getting open. He's one of the best route runners I've personally ever seen. And, I mean, rating-wise, they both they both had huge issues catching. The, 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 the difference was, I think, was that Kendrick Bourne kept playing and had a chance to redeem himself, while Dante Pettis did not have a chance to redeem himself. So, if I'm being honest, I don't have a huge issue with this rating. I mean, I know that in Madden, the even the after-the-catch ratings, like Juke and Stiff Arm stuff, don't matter a ton. But I think Dante Pettis is even better at that. Like, I know he has issues running over the middle, but we've seen it before. He will Stiff Arm uh, a Seattle safety like no other person I've seen before. So And dribble I, him like a basketball. Yes. I, I do not have an issue. <laughs> I do not have an issue with all – with Dante Pettis being a point higher than Kendrick Bourne because they don't grade for the one thing that Dante Pettis is bad at. You know, yeah, that's a good point there. Um, yeah, Pettis is definitely more talented. I just, talented want, to, I just want to touch Bourne. on a specific rating on a specific player, just one rating, not the overall rating of a player, just a specific rating on that player. Is it George Kittle's break tackle? George Kittle's break tackle. I mean, come <laughs> on, eighty-one. It's lower than Debo Samuel, you know that, right? Debo Samuel's break tackle is higher than Kittle's, and yeah, that is absolutely I mean, wrong. And that's crazy. I mean, here's the thing. Debo, don't get me wrong. Debo Samuel can break tackles really well. He'll he'll bowl through he'll bowl through somebody. He'll he'll make moves in the open field. But I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Yeah. George Kittle at an eighty-one, really. I used to know. I used to know who's at ninety because I mean, for him to be at eighty-one, who's breaking tackles better than Kittle? As you know, as an offensive player, I honestly, I don't know. Derrick Henry, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, Derrick Henry, that might be the only one I can think of. Other than that, Kittle is, is breaking every other tackle. I, I want to mention that Saquon Barkley's at 89. I, I, I think they upped him to 91. They upped him to 91. 
But, I mean, yeah, Madden ratings. There are a lot of ones we can get to. Um, we're going to stick with the Niners here because obviously this is a Niners podcast. Um, another one that I didn't really like, I felt like Fred 187, I felt like it could have been a little bit higher, but I can't get argue 87. That's not too bad for, especially since they scaled the ratings differently for the past two games. There's a lot more lower-rated players. There's a lot more people in the 60s and 70s. So 87 is really would have been a 90 in one of the older games, so I can't really argue too much with that. Um, although I do think Jimmy Ward at 83 is a bit low. You think that's low? Jimmy Ward's 83. Tart is 81. I feel like that's also a bit low Tart is for low. them. Tart, is Tart should have been at least like an 84, 85, I feel like, at the, at the minimum. Um, Alex, Quan at 82 actually feels okay. I know his injury probably hurt um, his production during the season. Speaking of Quan Alexander, when he came back, when he came back to play with that torn pack, he was missing a lot of tackles. I don't know if you guys remember, I but mean, he was. And honestly, it's, under- it's and honestly, it's understandable because there, of the it, torn there's pack. so much range of motion that comes from your pectoral muscle. And if you honestly don't really understand the anatomy behind the muscle itself, you don't understand how much of an impact that makes. And I think for J.J. Watt, because he suffered the same injury a, an exact week earlier before Quan suffered his, for him, it's a bit easier since he doesn't have to move as much or cover as much as of ground as Quan Alexander would as a linebacker. So for him to make the adjustment as a defensive lineman to play through that torn peck, it's a bit easier because he'll he'll just have to play that side of his body cl- a bit closer towards the center of his body, whereas Quan Alexander will have to go out and reach players and try and grab them. Mm-hmm. And so... Trying to play through that torn pack, that takes a lot of guts, but yeah, I respect him for it. It hurts definitely. you more than it helps you. I would yeah, say that I mean, it hurts cause... you much more than it helps you. And in my opinion, that... if you have a torn pack, you should not be playing. Let that heal. You will be better for it. Trust me. Yeah, you can tell on the field he wasn't the same Quan with that torn pack. Um, yeah, definitely uh, wasn't the same Quan. But that probably hurt his rating. I felt like he might have been 84 or something like that if he wasn't hurt. But um, what else is on here? Other than that, I mean, Tart low. I thought Ward's a little low. I actually um, think Jimmy Garoppolo's a bit low, personally, when you consider that when you got players like Carson Went and Dak Prescott who are 84s each and Tom Brady who's a 90. I don't, I don't know about Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's probably – I think 83 is fine be. with Garoppolo. If you put him 84, I mean, they're calling him a top 10 quarterback, which I know that a bunch of us might believe, but – uh, nation, nation, nationwide for Madden to call him a top ten quarterback would be pretty, would be pretty crazy on a lot of levels. I mean, he's at eleven. He's at eleven. He's tied with um, Stafford for eleven to eighty three. So I mean, we can't really argue about that. They have an eleven tied quarterback in the game. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna take that. I'm taking that. You know, that's that's a dub for I, us. I will. That grapple is from EA. I think that uh, I personally issue... think it's a bit low, but I mean, it is what it is. I guess. Mm-hmm. An issue that I have is Emmanuel Mosley is a 75. Now, I know yes, that, yeah, I answer that far. Yeah, he's, definitely. An, he's an undrafted free agent to most of everybody. And if you weren't watching the Niners every single game, you wouldn't know a lot. You would have just thought, oh, I guess Akella Witherspoon's hurt, so this guy's playing. I think he should definitely – I'm thinking his range is probably maybe a 77, 78. Because I know ratings are scaled down, so I wouldn't go as far as to say like an 80 or something. But – He's one rating better than an Akella Witherspoon. Akella Witherspoon was a Who is far better than. 
And I, if you watched either of the Seattle games, you know that he's a little bit better than one overall point compared to Keller Witherspoon. Now, I like Keller Witherspoon too. At least two but or three. Emmanuel Mosley can play zone with any receiver he wants. So I think Emmanuel Mosley probably has like that. Another rating that, speaking of corners, uh, Quan, a uh, Kwan Williams could definitely be a little bit higher than 76. I think he's at. I'm thinking more maybe – he was one of the best slot corners in the league last year, um, at least as far as the PFF grade was. He's probably one of the tops in the league. So I feel like a low 80 wouldn't have been bad for him at slot corner. Like like an 80 or 81. I just feel like Williams doesn't get enough recognition for what he does. 100%. Yeah. I want to go on the offensive line real quick and talk about Daniel Brunskill being a 62. Yeah, Brunskill, I was thinking – if anything, high 60s, low 70s. He definitely – I mean, obviously, he's not the one more talented like in the league. 71. But, yeah, when – I mean, off the line didn't look terrible when he was – as in he's, honestly, he was better than – why am I forgetting his name now? Who was playing right guard for us last year? Mike Person. I think he's gone now. Uh, yeah, Mike – I mean, I liked him better than Mike, than Mike Person. Yeah. And I think he produced better than Mike Person did. Um. So, yeah, I definitely feel like he could have been at least in the low 70s at the least. I, I think I am going to give Madden a pass here because, again, same thing, undrafted free agent, uh, virtually unknown to anyone except, like, decently hardcore 49er fans. He came in for a few games and played well, but he's still a guard, so most people wouldn't notice. So I, I'll, I'll give him a pass and rating him a 62. He, he obviously should be higher. I, he should be probably around a 70, grading where he played, but it, I think it's understandable the fact that they probably didn't know who he was, so – just give him a 62. Which, I mean, that's when I started to question, like, who's doing the ratings and what actually goes into doing the ratings. Because if you're not watching the film, every player, you know, what exactly are you rating them for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be, you know, it should be an honest rating. It should be going into every player since they spend, like, a year doing this. And they don't – and these ratings aren't really, like, fresh for this game. Most of these are just, you know, pullovers from the last game. A lot of them are the exact same from the last game. So, I mean, really, if you're watching the film – of every team, of every player who plays, you should be able to get the ratings right. So for some of these people to be low, it, it's questionable. But, I mean, you can't argue with it too much, especially since they, since they adjusted the rating scale. Another one to get into is Brendan Ayuk at 72. I know rookies are rated low, but if you're playing franchise, Ayuk's never going to get in the game. You know, if you're doing, if you're doing overalls from there, and he won't ever get better that way. That's, that's my whole gripe with the way rookies are that low. I mean, he's, who is he's below so many people. Um, like Trent Taylor's like a obviously, 74. Yeah, Taylor's a 74. He's a he's below him. He's below uh, Travis Benjamin. He's below, uh, obviously, uh, Bourne and Pettis, uh, along with Debo Samuel. He's like the fifth or sixth best to run. He might even get cut in some franchises. And he's supposed to be he's a first-round pick. So, it's, I mean, I just if you don't use the Niners yourself and put him in the game, he won't get better, which is unrealistic compared to what he might do in the regular season if we have one. I think that's more of a systematic issue with how Madden kind of did it because I remember the other receivers, like uh, I think Ruggs was like a 76, Judy was a 75, uh, Rieger was like a 73. So they couldn't make Ayuk any higher or else because other first-round receivers I mean, yeah. that are ahead of him are already that low. So I think that's an issue with Madden like trying to scale the rookie ratings down. And then not scaling the other people down because, like, I, I won't even talk about Trent Taylor. We can talk about Travis Benjamin. Like, he didn't play a lot for the Chargers last year. He got injured, and he's 
what overall is he? He's like a 75, 76? 70, 75, I believe. So, 75. You know, I'd be 74. Yeah, I mean, that's, are, we rating, are, are we saying that Travis Benjamin is the same skill level as Emmanuel Mosley? I no way. So I think this is just an issue with Madden, like not caring about franchise as a whole, which is a whole other conversation. But yeah, hold it. We can discuss that for probably hours and hours about what they should do with franchise. We won't though, because I mean it's not going to change anything. Yep. They want to do everything differently. They're focusing on other things, so we don't worry about it. But um, yeah, my gripe. I mean, franchise Ayuk's never going to reach his potential unless you play the Niners yourself and put him as a top receiver. But then, even then, like, as far as his like rating scale, you're gonna be—it's a downgrade from whoever else you could put there. Mm-hmm. So it's just—it's just rough to really even develop him if you're playing franchise and using Ayuk. So I mean, it's just—it's unfortunate. He will never really reach his potential in Madden, probably, unless he plays well in the season and uh, gets his rating boosted from there. But I mean, as far as starting off, Ayuk's not going to be that good, and I think he should be good. So it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do we have left to talk about? We are nearly done. Last topic. Um, it was before the news came out today about Mostert. It was about Mostert getting traded. If he were to get traded, what would the running back situation look like um, going into the 2020 season? Obviously, with bringing in Jamichael Hasty. And um, who was the other undrafted running back you brought um, in? Shelbon Ahmed. Good. Yeah, Ahmed. Um, if Mostert were to get traded, Mostert undrafted himself. We saw Brita perform pretty well. He's also undrafted. It wouldn't have hurt at all. You know, it really wouldn't have. Coleman would, Coleman would have been probably starting back. If McKinnon is, he- if McKinnon is healthy, which I-, I can't wait to see him play if he's healthy this year. It's just his overall skill set, especially as a, as a pass catcher at running back. It's just – Shanahan's going to have some things for him. Um, but just the backfield, without, even without Moser, I think it still would have been a pretty talented backfield. It wouldn't have been much for this year. I agree. I think I, I already talked about kind of a little bit why Raheem Mostert's good earlier, but I don't think I think trading him it would be worse than a lot of us like want to believe, because like we talked about, he will hit what hole Shanahan wants him to hit, and he's talented enough. It's very rare to get someone that's that talented but is humble enough that they'll listen to the coach, right? Because Tevin Coleman's been in the league for a while, and he doesn't hit the holes. He's more like a Matt Breida. He will more like he'll improvise, try to choose where to go because he feels like he can do that. Now, it's not a bad thing. He deserves it. He made it to the NFL. You don't need to be that humble. But Raheem Mostert not getting a carry his first two years in the league, going undrafted, going to all these different teams, I think it humbled him to just listen to the coaches. And that's why he's that good. That's why, like, the 49ers and Raheem Mostert are the perfect pairing. The 49ers need a Raheem Mostert to follow what Kyle Shanahan is saying. And Raheem Mostert only works with someone like Kyle Shanahan. So that's why I don't think he's going to get traded because I think the league knows that. And even if he does get traded, we can look at the basics here. He's only worked under one head coach in one specific offensive system. He hasn't worked. We have evidence that he hasn't worked on like four other teams. And he's already 28 years old as a running back and he wants a pay raise. It's like every red flag in 2020 NFL did not trade for somebody. So I, I don't even think there's a chance he gets traded. He might get a little bit of a pay raise, but the pay raise is going to be something like more guaranteed money, but it's not going to be actual more money. Hey, whoever would trade for most of like an idiot, I don't care what they give up. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good trade regardless of who takes them. 
uh, yeah, he like you said, he belongs in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan because it just works with those two. It just works. And you can see on the field, obviously, with some ridiculous performances, uh, the Ravens game, held on the yards rushing in that game. Um, obviously, the Green Bay Packers in the championship game where he just pretty much had his way with that whole defense. Mm-hmm. It just works. And obviously, and we love him here in San Francisco. I'm not in San Francisco, but I love him for South Carolina. Um, it's just, he just belongs, you know, on this team with this roster, with that coach, with that scheme. It's just perfect. And I don't see why he want to leave that. I feel like that was his agent's call. It's like, hey, you know, you had a great season, one of the best backs in the league. We should try to capitalize on this and get a pay raise. And the Niners are like, um, we're the reason you did well. So no. But I mean, yeah, like you said, Shanahan, I don't see him getting traded because. No one's going to offer what the Niners would want to even accept that kind of trade. And always, and also, most is, is perfect for the system, and he'll be RB number one going into the season should we have one. So, I mean, this is no reason to get rid of him and no reason for him to want to leave. I, I think that one last part to add on to it. I don't know who said it. It might have been David Lombardi on Twitter. He's on The Athletic. He's a Fortnite reporter. When an agent publicly comes out, when an agent does it and says that they requested a trade, most of the time that usually means that they requested it a while ago and nothing happens. And they're trying to gather public support because public support can move teams and move other teams around the league and try to get somebody. You usually don't make this kind of thing public until it's been way too late. So they've probably already searched for teams before the agent even came out and said anything and the reason AJ came out and said anything, in my opinion, was because there's no teams that would want to trade for him in the first place. I agree. And as you can tell, nothing has happened. There hasn't been any talks or rumors about any trades revolving, involving Mostert. So obviously a trade will not be happening. And uh, it's safe to say he will pretty much be a Niner this season, should we have one, obviously. And I guess since that's all the topics, we'll get into the one that is currently being discussed heavily around the league. Will there be a season this year? I think there will be one. Like Shannon, earlier before we started the podcast, you said there would be one. Um, Rohith, what do you think? I mean, honestly, if the NFL gets its act together, which it probably will, I mean, look at the way the players are reacting to all the news. They're, they literally want the NFL to get their act together, and they're telling the NFL, hey, get your act, act together. We want football. Mm-hmm. And I think that alone makes me think that – I'm going to say again, the NFL will get its act together and we'll have a full 16-week season with playoffs and a Super Bowl. I believe so, too. And obviously, I mean, I think the biggest reason why there will be a season because they can't afford to not have one. Too much too much will happen in the future seasons if there is not a season this year. As far as the money goes and all the sponsorships and all the TV deals and all that stuff, it's just too much to think about for them if there's no season. They have to lose so much money. It's not even funny. So just from that, and obviously, I mean, the owners, that's all they really care about is, you know, how much is in their wallets, you know, how big are those paychecks so they can be able to, you know, pay who they need to pay and bring in the money they need to bring in. So, I mean, and then you think about all the sponsors and it's just the league as a whole. There's too much money to be lost if there's no season. So they will do what they need to do to have a season this year. No matter how different it looks, how much needs to happen, they'll get it done. There will be a season. I 100% believe there will be a season this year. And it's just because there has to be. It's just too much of what happened if there isn't one. So they kind of don't have a choice but to try to get it, get it to work. Mm-hmm. With that being said, 
I believe that is all we have for today. A little over an hour for the first episode. Uh, had a great time. Definitely had a great time. Hoping to do a lot more of this. Um, obviously, with our schedules, it would be tough to do this every day. But hopefully, once a week, we can get the episode in. Maybe two or three. Uh, how you guys feeling? Feels great, baby. Ah, perfect. With that being said, that will keep you updated. I got you, Quan. With that being said, that will do it for us here. You have been listening to the Faithful Four and More podcast. We appreciate you for listening and staying this long if you did. And we will see you on the next episode. This has been the Faithful Four and More podcast. Thank you.